hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Today we peel back the layers of Affordable Care Act and clear up confusion we and our Queer Money listeners have about health care in America. Open enrollment is now. Listen to this Queer Money today. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Hey, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on Queer Money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Well, we're excited to have General Fitzgerald of Policy Genius with us today. Uh, Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Do you mind uh, giving us a little bit of introduction of who you are and a little bit about Policy Genius? Sure. Uh, as uh, you guys know, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Policy Genius, and Policy Genius is a website that is dedicated to making all lines of consumer insurance easy to shop for and easy to buy. Uh, we have uh, life insurance, health insurance, disability insurance, and other lines as well. And what we believe in is providing really great advice, decision support, uh, and everything wrapped up in a very user-friendly digital experience on our site. Nice. Yeah, when we were at FinCon in September, we got an opportunity to see one of the new applications that you're creating. And it was very interesting and, and, and helpful to see how easy it was to see where your expenses are. Yeah. And we, you know, whenever we build a new insurance tool, we start with, you know, what are the most important questions that people have? Where are the parts where they typically get hung up or don't understand? So we can design a very easy do-it-yourself process around that. Great. I think that's one of the things that we appreciated most about it is the simplicity of the tool. Because I think a lot of people, because it is so complicated, making that decision about what to do with insurance, they put it off. And sometimes they put it off to the last moment, and then they have to make a a rather rash decision or a quick decision that may not be in their best interest. That's right. We see that pattern all the time um, with decisions that are really confusing. You just end up putting it off. Um, and then making a, a default decision, either doing what you did last year or just not doing anything at all. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, it seems kind of interesting because it's a, lot of, it's, it's a habit that a lot of people exercise with their finances. I think a lot of people think managing money, investing money, all that is, is so complicated. So I think for the most part, they just put their head in the sand. And it seems it's probably the same thing that happens with healthcare. Yeah, so, absolutely. And healthcare is probably one of the more complicated parts of your, of your uh, personal finance budget. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of frustrating. I, I just had an operation not too long ago, minor operation, and I'm still getting bills. And I don't know, like, <laughs> no other business, get, are there so many different components of, of, of payment and expenses? You know, the bill, the last bill I just got was $28. I'm like, why couldn't you incorporate that all into just one bill? Break it all down, <laughs> itemize like you are, like when you go to a grocery, the restaurant, this is what everything costs and be done with it. But at this point, I don't, you know, you never know when you're done paying your bills. Right. <laughs> no, it's a great point. And every time I go to the doctor, I mean, I've been working in insurance and healthcare for a while and I'm still confused and don't know why, you know, there's this trickle 
bill system where, you know, you get billed for the same appointment six months down the road. (laughs) That's uh, very heartening that a CEO of a, uh, somebody that's in healthcare. (laughs) It's not just a slay folk. (laughs) Yeah. I still, I still get confused myself. (laughs) It's not, it's not just the, the, the average consumer for sure. Awesome. So, uh, what we wanted to talk with you today was a little bit about the state of healthcare. It's currently open enrollment, but we also wanted to talk about healthcare in the queer community. And then if you could maybe give some of your insight uh, or uh, ideas of what direction you think uh, the Affordable Care Act is going to go under the pending Trump administration. Right. So um, the first question I have for you is, it seems like We've seen the study, uh, this quote a couple of times. We're not exactly sure where the source is, but about 40% of the LGBT community tends to be in either service or retail. So uh, waiting tables, bartending, uh, or working at a, at a mall or a store. And they're very often, uh, they're not as well banked as other demographics. And it seems like from, from some of the data that I've, I've been looking at that up until the Affordable Care Act was implemented, was that two years ago? Uh, three years three ago. years ago that a lot of in our community as well were uninsured with health care do you have any any ideas or anything thoughts about that sure I think before the Affordable Care Act um, many people who were in jobs that didn't provide um, employer-sponsored health insurance were you know either uninsured or underinsured right and a lot of that stemmed from um, I don't know where to buy it I don't know how to handle that if my employer is not providing it. Um, and then in some cases, you had people who had, you know, complicated pre-existing health conditions that uh, either made them uninsurable or made insurance uh, far too expensive to, to get. So I think those were some of the big problems that um, uh, plagued the, um, you know, self-employed or 1099 or, or service-oriented uh, employees before the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it, so, so it's done a lot to help get so many people additional coverage but it does seem to be some I guess acrimony right now with the health insurance companies it, 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 are, are, why do you know why so many of them seem to be leaving uh, the I guess leaving at the state level yeah various sure. marketplaces seem to be drying up some states only have one option now yeah yeah I mean so one of the reasons is um, you know the good things that the Affordable Care Act did for consumers right so um, eliminating uh, discrimination based on gender or pre-existing conditions, um, you know, making it guaranteed issue for anybody who applied um, and could pay the premium, um, as well as um, you know cost constraints that the the regulation put on insurance companies made it more expensive to operate. Quite frankly, so what you're finding is you know that market kind of normalizing out, um, you know, in the wake of these uh, regulations that made it you know more expensive to operate, but at the end of the day, I think probably made it better for consumers in the long run. Um, so you you're finding health insurance companies that um, were profitable or were making more money before the Affordable Care Act, and they're not able to adjust or they're choosing not to adjust, um, you know, post-ACA. And do you think some of that's, it seems from an outsider's perspective, it sort of seems that some of these companies aren't willing to let their already exorbitant profits go down at all for the sake of their, their, their customers. Is that a valid thought? That may be part of it. I mean, there are a lot of companies, uh, health insurance companies are actually not profitable, right? Especially if you look at some of the newer ones, uh, like Oscar, for example, they um, are in the red. They've never been profitable. Um, so one of the things that the Affordable Care Act actually did 
was it said that for every dollar of premium that you get paid as a health insurance company, you have to spend at least 80 cents of that on claims or quality of care improvement, which left only 20% for overhead, marketing, distribution, everything else, right? Um, and they've never had to operate under that kind of um, financial constraint before. So that actually ate into their profits um, and forced them to spend more on, on consumer care, which is a great thing for consumers. But health insurance companies, having operated the way that they have for years and years and years, um, I think have been finding it difficult to adjust. That's interesting. I, I, you know, I wasn't aware of that, but that does make sense that you have a business model that's been operating in a particular fashion for potentially decades and along comes some regulation that makes a major change you're going to have you're going to feel that on the bottom line and if you can't like you said if you can't adjust you have to withdraw from the marketplace right or merge you see a lot of mergers going on as well um you know i think it's reasonable to expect some fallout when you have um pretty uh comprehensive regulatory change in an industry. And, and that's what happened to the healthcare industry for the good of consumers. Um, but uh, anybody who's been on the inside of a health insurance company knows they are massive bureaucracies and they're not fast to change. And, you know, I would expect uh, this sort of, you know, market entry and exit for the next couple of years. Really? Well, yeah. Well, it's good to know, you know, that, that yeah. we have to be prepared and have the forethought that, that the, there is a potential for our plans to change. As I remember reading, no, actually it was a, a statistic that uh, an advocacy group here in Colorado told us about that 92,000 people in the state of Colorado who live outside of the met major metropolitan areas were going to see their plans, plan options go down to one. Mm -hmm. So if you're living in the city, there are obviously a lot more people a lot more doctors, easier to keep those costs down. Whereas if you're living in some of the rural areas, fewer doctors, fewer services, more expensive. And that kind of makes sense why that would, their options would dry up. Right. And that's pretty uh, common across the more sparsely populated rural areas. You're seeing at least on exchange um, far fewer plans than you did a year or two ago, right? Now, the plus side is even if there is just one plan, by law, it's required to, you know, um, enroll you if you decide to enroll in it so you can't be rejected. Um, and by law, it's supposed to provide the same level of benefits and health care that any other plan on the marketplace does. So, um, you know, a lot of the, the loopholes or, or caps on benefits that used to exist before the Affordable Care Act um, are gone. So even if, you know, there's just one plan for you to, to enroll in, you can at least, you know, rest assured that the law has imposed um, a minimum level of coverage and benefits for for that plan. That's good to know. As a knowledge expert, do you think was this kind of volatility something that you, you expected? Is this is this predictive? Yeah, I think so. Right. If if you know, we one of the big assumptions uh, during the first open enrollment season of the Affordable Care Act was. Um, what was the population going to look like that enrolled on the, the open marketplace, right? Um, and because there are um, there are no uh, underwriting, no ability to discriminate against people because of their age or pre-existing health conditions, you know, there there was the assumption and the hope that there'd be enough young, healthy people enrolling in these plans um, that they could keep premiums affordable for the people who are older or sicker or needed to use their health insurance more, right? Um, and what's borne out over the last couple of years 
is that the population that's enrolled in these um, Affordable Care Act marketplace plans are a bit older, a bit sicker than initial models had estimated, right? Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you know, you have to adjust costs uh, cost to, to compensate for that. Um, so anytime that you're predicting prices based on human behavior and, and what happens in the market, um, you know, there's probably going to be some corrections down the road. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you, you bring that up because John and I were recently in San Francisco uh, at a speaking event and we were going from one location to another and the Lyft driver had, an, I think it was NPR or American Public Radio or something like that on, and they brought that exact point up was that part of the reason why we're seeing so many changes is the fact that those predictive models were off on how many people who would be coming into the marketplace where they were uninsurable or very difficult to insure previously, and they would bring those costs way up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, you know, that's the reason why the law included the individual mandate, mm-hmm. um, you know, which made it required to buy health insurance, because if you didn't have that, um, there's no way that you could offer guaranteed issue health insurance, right? Because mm-hmm. um, only the people who would enroll in, in health insurance would be the ones who really need it. Um, right. uh, and that's why you have the mandate or the tax penalty if you choose not to, to buy health insurance. So that <coughs> tax penalty, again, goes into to subsidize the cost of, of uh, guaranteed issue health insurance. So as you're speaking, I guess the concern that I have is I'm thinking about some in our in the LGBT community who are older, say 50, 60, 70, and who are working service jobs, bartending. Um, I can see there being a great fear now that we have a new administration who has, has suggested that they, they won't continue the Affordable Care Act. What I, what can what do you foresee happening under the Trump administration? Of course, this is an, an opinion. But sure. What do you see happening in the Trump administration that might be able to address some of those concerns? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is, you know, the earliest, and this is not just my opinion. I've uh, read a lot of analyses too. I think the earliest you would see any changes to the Affordable Care Act and to health insurance would probably be 2018 or 2019. Um, something as big as overhauling or repealing um, a regulation or a law which has thousands of pages and regulations that have thousands of pages and that reach into thousands of health insurance plans across the 50 states, you know, needs a few years of transition. Current plans would probably either be grandfathered or sunsetted, similar to the transition period you saw when the Affordable Care Act was implemented. So, um, you know, I know that there was some fear that come January 20th, um, everything was going to change with respect to health insurance. And, and that's not the case um, because the the plans that are on sale now for open enrollment, those are locked in and filed with state regulators for the 2017 plan year. Um, so there is there is a little bit of time, um, you know, for planning and adjustment. Um, and, you know, one of the things that the Trump administration, the Republican administration, uh, administration and Congress has talked about is repealing the individual mandate, right? They don't uh, like the fact that consumers are told that they have to have health insurance. Um, And of course, if that goes away, then guaranteed issue health insurance may go away, right? Um, But recently, I think last weekend in the Washington Post, um, I think uh, the uh, politicians connected the dots that if you did away with the mandate, then you couldn't offer guaranteed health insurance. And you know, tens of millions of people with pre-existing health conditions may be um, out of coverage. So they at least seem to, in the press, walk back that stance a little bit. 
Um, but you know, who knows, who knows what'll happen. So, um, that's one thing. The other thing that might be changed is the, um, financial assistance that's available under the Affordable Care Act. So right now, um, anybody who makes between one to four times the federal poverty limit uh, is eligible for subsidies um, that helps bring down the monthly cost of health insurance. Uh, in most states, um, Medicaid was expanded as well um, so that single adults who are typically up to 138% of the poverty limit could qualify for free health insurance under Medicaid. Um, that's the, this financial assistance program, you know, it also has an un uncertain future under, under the next administration. Um, Trump has talked about um, doing tax deductions instead of, uh, instead of a subsidy. Um, again, deductions typically will benefit um, higher income folks who, right. uh, who deduct uh, and itemize their taxes um, and wants to expand HSAs um, to be used uh, across plans and something that can be passed down um, you know, from, from parent to child. I don't think it's an apples to apples replacement of subsidies, but you know, again, these are the things that uh, I've been reading about that could be a replacement for the current subsidy and, and Medicaid expansion, but um, I think it'd be a year or two before any material changes could, could be implemented. Yeah, that's good to know. That's, it, it, I think, especially for individuals who are in those fringe groups that mm -hmm. have difficulty getting insurance, uh, it's obviously something that they need to pay attention to or be aware of unfortunately it's probably something they just don't. <laughs> so we have mm -hmm. to do what we can to keep those, that population educated. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'm still hung up. I'm thinking of two scenarios. We have those in our community who are battling diseases such as HIV AIDS um, and who wouldn't be able to afford the medication that they need to fight for, fight that disease if they didn't have the Affordable Care Act. And then also I'm thinking about, you know, we've talked with Andy Tremonti from Utah and he is a trans man and has just started the transition process. I'm just concerned about, you know, what those people think here, I've just started this process. It's going to, it's a several year process no matter what. And all of a sudden things are going to change potentially in a year or two. So I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know that I have a question about this. It's just a concern that I have. I'm thinking about people who are thinking I, I'm going to start executing on, on this plan and I can't because I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Right. You know, right. I, I guess from your perspective, what, where can somebody go to find information or, um, come up with a, a strategy or I, I guess. Stay I, informed. Yeah. Stay yeah, informed. They, Stay informed, right? Because there's just so much that's up in the air for the next 12 months or so. Right. Um, you know, and the the two types of people that you mentioned are probably two of the most vulnerable types of people um, uh, for changes in the Affordable Care Act and what that means in terms of health insurance accessibility. Um, so if, if, for example, somebody is self-employed and uh, has uh, individual health insurance you know, depending on what changes come down the pipeline, um, that person, if they could, and if the options available to them, you know, may um, look for a job that um, provides employer-provided health insurance, right? Because um, employer-provided health insurance typically is guaranteed issue, um, and you don't have to medically qualify, and they don't look at your medical history. Um, so that, you know, 
is one option. I know it's not a great one because mm-hmm. <laughs> anybody can say like, go, go find a job. Go that's a job. <laughs> yeah. It's easier. It's easier said exactly. than done. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, employer provided health insurance, um, typically is guaranteed issue. So your individual medical history wouldn't be reviewed, uh, at most companies. So there is that otherwise, you know, um, stay informed, try to, you know, save up, uh, as much as you can now in case you do have to self-insure a bit. Um, uh, it's worth noting that a couple of the, the Republican proposals for um, affordable character placements um, will allow um, folks with pre-existing conditions to continue coverage and get new coverage as long as there's not any gaps in coverage. So mm-hmm. again, this is super important for people going into 2017 to make sure that you don't have any gaps in coverage. Um, that you're locked into a 2017 plan, um, because at least under a couple of plans, if you don't have any gaps in coverage, you can continue to um, enroll in new plans without, um, you know, pre-qualifying medically. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a lot of good information. So does Policy Genius, do you write about any of this kind of information on your site? We do, yeah. And I actually just uh, published on on CNBC last week um, uh, my thoughts on you know, what the likely changes may be to the Affordable Care Act and to health insurance more broadly under the, um, under the you know, the new administration. So we write about it. Um, Sarah Cliff, who is a reporter at Vox, um, she, she does a tremendous job about writing about health care, health insurance. Um, and so I would also encourage folks who, you know, want to follow closely. And she takes a, a, a very consumer-oriented po- point of view, too, as well. Um, I would suggest folks follow her because she's been she's been on top of this since day one. Great, thank you. Yeah. Uh, we'll make sure we include uh, links to both those resources in our show notes for our audience. I, I okay. read that article on CNBC last week, and I completely spaced that it was you. I didn't realize <laughs> that I was reading something you had written. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations awesome. on being on CNBC. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, there's as you guys might imagine a ton of interest in in what might happen uh, for for health insurance. Um, you know, the, the silver lining, I was talking about this with some of my colleagues, um, is that because of the proposed changes, I think more people are getting informed now than they ever were. Um, and you actually see a deeper understanding of um, healthcare policy and proposed changes now, not just among, um, you know, the, the consumer community, but among um, public administration officials as well. So at least that's one silver lining is people are paying more attention Um, now than they did in previous years. Now, whether that, um, helps or not is another story. Right. It's always the precarious question. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I guess under the Affordable Care Act today, what, is there anything that, that users of the Affordable Care Act aren't taking advantage of that they could or should, maybe even specifically the LGBT community? Any kind Uh, of coverage? Yeah, a couple things. One is, um, the subsidies I spoke about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Department of Health and Human Services published a study, I think a few months ago, that said millions of consumers are actually eligible for subsidies and aren't taking advantage of them, right? Um, again, this goes back to awareness and being informed. So um, they also published, healthcare.gov published a stat that said 70% of uh, individuals could find a health insurance plan for under $75 a month using those subsidies. So again, um, Make, being aware of subsidies, um, using those subsidies to buy uh, a marketplace plan um, is huge. 
Secondly, a lot of folks, if they don't qualify for subsidies, um, will um, maybe not uh, enroll in health insurance because of the the sticker shock, right? So right. they, you know, why do I? Why should I pay three, four, five hundred dollars a month um, for health insurance? I'll just, you know, um, deal with it if I, in case I get sick, right? Um, and so one of the big things, and this was again um, implemented by the Affordable Care Act, that we like to po- point out to folks is that. Um, even if you get the cheapest health insurance possible on the marketplace, I'm talking a bronze plan, lowest premium, just lock something in place because by law, all of them have a um, maximum out-of-pocket cap on what you'd spend on your health care in a given year. So even if you had a catastrophic health year, right? So bad car accident, um, you know, serious illness diagnosis. If, um, if you're on an individual plan, the most you would pay out-of-pocket is like 6,500 bucks. Right, and your health insurance plan would pay for the rest. So, um, I think a lot of people don't realize that you know the max out of pocket is basically what saves you from medical bankruptcy if something bad were to happen. Um, yeah. And so, the, so the people who are considering maybe not getting health insurance, you know, I would encourage them to you know reconsider that. Um, the other thing, um, again, that's a benefit that a lot of people don't know about and aren't taking advantage of is that there's um, a lot of free preventive care that all plans by law are required to offer. So everything from blood pressure screening to STI screenings to depression screenings to immunizations for adults, all of this is supposed to be provided for free under any health insurance plan you sign up for. Um, Can you do us a favor? And I think that a lot of people maybe, and myself, I'm not familiar with this idea of a subsidy. Can you explain that so that if that's something that people, millions of people aren't taking advantage of, is there a simplistic way to explain it to someone or to uh, anyone who's listening so that they may consider that? Sure. So what a subsidy is, uh, is it's a tax credit that the government pays directly on your behalf to the health insurance company. Uh, to qualify for a subsidy, you have to make between one and four times the federal poverty limit. Uh, for an individual adult, that's typically um, up to uh, $40,000 a year or so give or take. Um, and if you qualify for a subsidy, um, it depends on, um, you know, how much the higher income, the lower the subsidy and vice versa. Um, you know, many subsidies are in the form of like one, $200 a month. And the federal government will pay that directly to the health insurance company on your behalf, uh, which effectively brings down what you pay for your, on your health insurance policy every month. Um, and then, uh, the next year on your tax return, um, you report what you made the previous year, um, and if you were accurate and your subsidy was accurate, then you're fine. Um, if you actually made less than you thought, then you'll get a tax refund. Um, if you made more, you may have to pay back some of that subsidy, um, but because you can take it ahead of time before you file your taxes, it brings down your out-of-pocket cost immediately. Right. I don't know if th- I don't know if that was simple, but basically, go to the marketplace. There's a calculator there where you enter your estimated income for 2017. It'll tell you what you're probably going to be eligible for, and you can apply that immediately to any health insurance plan that you pick on the marketplace. Nice. Now, is that something that uh, a user could find on the the app that we saw through Policy Genius? That is correct. So okay. in our health insurance app at policygenius.com, we have a subsidy eligibility calculator that uses the federal rules. So you just enter your household size. Uh, what your income is estimated to be for 2017, and we'll calculate uh, what subsidy you can apply to your health insurance plans. Awesome. Great. Thank you. That's. I, I think that 
that's very informative to to anyone who's listening and thinking or concerned about health insurance. That's one of the things that John and I really loved about the app was just the the, the massive amount of information that's out there, how it simplifies it and makes it easier for you to make the right decision for you. And so it's good to hear that that piece is also included in there. Definitely. And it's an important piece because at the end of the day, the most important health insurance decision comes down to, can I afford it? And what am I going to be, be paying monthly for it? Um, and subsidies are within reach for um, a large percentage of the population who's shopping for health insurance. It's yeah. good to know. Yeah, it's a very efficient way to figure out what benefits you have available to you. So definitely take advantage of, of those. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's very expensive to not have healthcare coverage when you need it. Right. <laughs> and, right. and like you suggested, you, you know, it, could, it could put some people into bankruptcy. So get the coverage, take advantage of the subsidies. And if, if people still have questions after they go through your calculator, is there a resource at Policy Genius or elsewhere that they can reach out to for questions? Absolutely. We've got live chat supported during business hours. Uh, on our site, and then we partner with um, an insurance uh, provider that has licensed agents in all 50 states who can uh, answer detailed questions, help you figure out if you need short-term medical gap insurance, how to pick the right plan, um, all kinds of support. Awesome. Yeah, great. Policy Genius is doing some great stuff, so we, that's why we were excited to have you on our show today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a question from uh, actually a, a client of ours. He and his partner are getting married. And well, they're not, they're not married right now. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt. They're not married right now, but they feel like they have to get married because of health insurance right, reasons. That, better question. Um, so how, uh, can you address that? There, there seems to be some confusion in our community about uh, what benefits and, and I guess um, detractors there are with getting married as it pertains to healthcare. And do they need to get married to get them both covered or how does it, how, how does that work? Sure. So you don't need to be married. They can both, uh, if neither of them has health insurance through their employer, they can individually sign up for a plan through the marketplace. Um, they can both sign up for the same plan. It's not a family plan. It would just be, you know, um, two individual plans with the same insurance company. So they don't um, need to be officially married to enroll in a health insurance plan. Um, if one of them does have um, health insurance through their employer, um, it depends on, upon the employer whether they'll extend, um, you know, partner benefits to any partner, to only married partners, to domestic partners. Um, it's a it's an employer specific decision in in, in that instance. Um, but for subsidies and the Affordable Care Act, um, typically it's to you know qualify as uh, to qualify as a household and put household income. Um, generally, the the partners have to be married. Um, but again, if one person is lower income than the other, that low income person can qualify individually um, based on his or her income for a subsidy. So there's, with the exception of employer provided health insurance, there's no benefit to to being married or not on the Affordable Care Act marketplace. Gotcha. You know, and this is something that we talked about with you when we were in uh, at FinCon in San Diego earlier this year was this John and I had to go through that decision process ourselves since John left his employer and was going mm -hmm. to be uninsured. We made the decision earlier before we long before he actually quit his job. And we looked at whether or not it would be beneficial to have him stay with his own insurance or to come on my insurance. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you just outlined there for 
this couple that we're working with is that they need to take a look at what their options are and see if it makes sense. It may not financially make sense for them to be married and have health insurance because then it's one individual's um, income that is covering both of them and they may not get a subsidy. Right. Kind of, you know, so taking advantage or looking at all of those options. Absolutely. Yep. I take, take a look at what's available through the employer situation with what's available through the marketplace and then, and then make a decision. But generally, um, you know, they're the same advantages are available to uh, individuals as there are to um, married couples on the, uh, the open marketplace under the Affordable Care Act. It's good to know. We definitely have some great information we can share with them the next week or two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great. So I have a general question. This is probably more bloviating than anything, but why are, why do healthcare costs in America just seem to continually escalate? <laughs> why, why do we, it seems like you know, everyone talks about when they travel, they talk with their, their friends and f- family in other countries. They seem to have much better control over their healthcare costs. What, what, what is our struggle over here? Any idea? Yeah, that's a great question, and um, the the root cause of it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> and where they are. I know, I know my friends who my friends who are doctors, for example. Um, you know, they point to the fact that their incomes, you know, haven't uh, grown by that much, uh, or haven't grown as much as healthcare costs overall have inflated, um, and they'll point to the fact that um, we live in a very litigious society, and medical malpractice drives up. Uh, the, the overall cost of delivering health care and quote-unquote defensive medicine. So that's one perspective. Um, the other perspective is that we just have an extraordinarily more complicated system than any other country in the world. Um, so the fact that employers are involved in, in health insurance, um, that's, that's an artifact that's uniquely American, right? So you go anywhere else um, and employers aren't uh, involved in the health insurance decision process, right? So you've got individuals, you have employers, you have uh, providers, you have health insurance companies, you have the government with respect to Medicaid and Medicare. So, you know, costs and complexity of administering um, uh, those costs go up the more stakeholders that you have involved. Mm -hmm. So I think those are all part of it. Um, The other thing that probably is driving up costs is, um, you know, our population is uh, getting older. Um, You know, that drives up costs, right? I, I think I read some stat that every day 10,000 baby boomers enters retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you're moving a huge portion of the population um, into, you know, a set of years where they're going to use more health care. Um, they may be moving into assisted living homes. Um, so the fact that a huge portion of the population is also just getting older, um, that drives up costs too. So it's kind of the, it's kind of the perfect storm, um, um, but it's just unfortunate that it's just so critical to, you know, to well-being and the functioning of our society. But yeah, for the longest time, and even before the Affordable Care Act, um, health care uh, costs have um, risen more dramatically than, you know, overall inflation of other costs. Right. Yeah. Well, it's one of the components. Uh, we, we did a, uh, there's a study that, who, who was the 245000 cost to raise a child? Who did that study? I think that was the yeah, I think it was USDA. Yeah, they did a study um, that the cost to raise a child from the age of birth to the age of 18, so not including college, is estimated right now at about $245,000. And that has increased exponentially 
decade after decade, especially since the 60s and 70s. And one of the c- components for that escalated increase was healthcare. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> so um, if what if the Affordable Care Act goes away, what what will Policy Genius be able to provide any insight or flexibility into coverage and plans and affordability? We we can. Um, yeah, I mean, marketplaces and, and private brokers like Policy Genius pre-existed the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll still be able to provide advice and um, assuming that there are still health insurance companies on the non-employer marketplace, we can still provide, you know, quoting and decision support there. Um, so there will be some sort of marketplace, even if the Affordable Care Act is entirely repealed. What that looks like and, and feels like for consumers remains to be seen. But, um, you know, organizations like e-health insurance and private brokers sold individual health insurance even before the Affordable Care Act. Um, it was just more difficult as a consumer to navigate because um, plans were apples and oranges, right? And a lot of the standardizations and consumer protections that now exist um, in health insurance plans didn't exist before then. Gotcha. So th- to me, that bodes the, for the need of individuals, especially if you have questions or concerns about the future of your health care, to get familiar with a company like Policy Genius build that relationship so that regardless of what the changes are, if there are any, you've got a resource you can go to and, and get consistent information. Right. Absolutely. And speak to your elected officials, right? I know I've seen <laughs> on um, uh, you know, social media and elsewhere, um, Paul Ryan, for example, was polling his constituents about the Affordable Care Act. Um, this is an important issue for millions of folks. Um, and it's, you know, now's the time to to make your voice heard if, you know, you would be personally affected by a repeal of the Affordable Care Act, if you're one of the millions of Americans who um, couldn't get health insurance beforehand um, because of pre-existing health conditions. I mean, this is, you know, this, it's not, it's not to be too dramatic, but it is life and death for some folks. So, um, you know, this, this is an important issue to, to mobilize around, especially if you're personally affected by, you know, any of the proposed changes. Right. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It, it is important for, you know, the, the conversation's happening now. If you want to be a part mm-hmm. of that conversation, make sure you, you make your voice heard as best you can so that hopefully you can make a positive impact on uh, what the end result is. It is. And it is, the conversation is being had now and you're seeing it um, in the Republican administration that people who, you know, I think were anti-Affordable Care Act um, then benefited from it are, are changing their tune. Uh, <laughs> so you're seeing, uh, you know, some of the hardline stances kind of walking back, including Trump himself where he said, oh, I don't want millions of people to die in the streets. So I think to whatever extent, you know, there is ability to, um, you know, make this not a political issue, but, you know, just a, a human welfare issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we shouldn't let this be politics. I mean, whether you're for Obama or for Trump, whatever, right. we, healthcare is important regardless of what your party affiliation is. So uh, you know, make sure you have your voice heard and, and don't, uh, don't, don't tell the party line if it's not really in your best interest. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, uh, Jennifer, any, this has been a lot of great information and uh, uh, David and I appreciate you coming on. Any final thoughts that you want to share? Um, you know, the big, uh, the big insight for us as we talk to consumers is um, just the fear uh, and the confusion around health insurance. Um, and it is, you can, you can master it, right? You don't um, need to spend hours and hours, um, on our site, we try to make it, you know, as intuitive and as user-friendly as possible. 
Um, they're really a handful of concepts that you need to be aware of to understand how much healthcare is going to cost you. Um, so things like deductible, maximum out of pockets, um, you know, copay and coinsurance. We actually surveyed 2,000 people around those four terms, and only 4% of consumers could accurately define what those four concepts meant. <laughs> Um, I think so I, just, I don't think I would be in that 4%. <laughs> <laughs> Most folks aren't. And this was true regardless of like education level or, you know, age. So um, I would really, really encourage people. It's such an important issue. And it's probably the most painful thing that you have to deal with budget wise um, and, you know, personal finance wise, just to, to dedicate 30 to 60 minutes, understanding those key concepts, understanding your, your benefits and your options. Um, there was a study that uh, I've read that most people spend 15 minutes a year reviewing their their benefits at work or their health insurance benefits overall, um, and they spend far much more time, you know, reviewing their cell phone plan. So <laughs> if I could if I could make one call, spend as much time on your health insurance as you would, you know, thinking about your cell phone plan options, then I think I think you'll be in a good spot. That's awesome. Yeah, That's thank you for saying. Way, you know, again, it, it takes me back to you know the beginning of the conversation where we talked about you know. Healthcare is a critical component of your budget. Don't stick your head in the sand. Make sure you, you look at it and, and incorporate it accordingly. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for joining us. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, we, thank, we appreciate your flexibility, too. We had to adjust our schedule a couple times to make this happen. Uh, and we are so happy to be partnering with uh, Policy Genius. We think what you guys are doing is great, and uh, we're happy to get the message out there because uh, it's, it's beneficial for all of us. Right. It, one of the things that I'll reiterate is that John and I believe in a strong queer community. And we believe that the way to have a strong queer community is that we are also financially strong. And in order to be financially strong, we have to be making the best well-informed decisions. And that's why we liked this app so much. Is It really does allow you to make the best decision for your personal needs. So thank you very much. Thank you both for, for having us on and um, appreciate the, the work that you do for the community and hope, uh, hope we can be of help to your audience. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Jennifer Fitzgerald, co-founder and CEO of Policy Genius, for helping us better understand healthcare in America and the Affordable Care Act today and tomorrow. Jennifer shared with us nine important points. One, even if there's only one plan available to you in your state, by law, it's required to enroll you and provide the same minimum benefits of health care that every other plan is required to provide. Two, experts agree that the soonest the next administration can make sweeping changes to health care is between 2018 and 2019. Three, any sweeping changes will have to include grandfathering and sunset clauses. Four, employer-provided health care is guaranteed issue, so current health conditions won't prevent coverage. Five, the best way to maintain coverage under future iterations of healthcare is to ensure there are no gaps in coverage, as prequalification is often unnecessary if there are no gaps in coverage. Six, one silver lining in all of the ACA debate is that we're all getting more educated on healthcare in America. Seven, Americans are leaving millions of dollars on the table by not taking advantage of tax credits and subsidies. Per healthcare.gov, 70% of individuals could find a health insurance plan for under $75 with those subsidies. 8. Even if you get the cheapest healthcare plan available on the marketplace, every plan has maximum out-of-pocket expenses of about $6,500. While it sounds expensive, $6,500 is cheap for medical surprises and life-threatening issues. 9. 
ACA also requires a minimum of free preventative care regardless of the plan for which you sign up. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Queer Money. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all my my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so... From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.